In 2016, indie studio Campo Santo released their debut title, the narrative adventure game Firewatch. Set in the National Forest in the Wyoming wilderness, you play as a fire lookout named Henry. Hey, sorry, guess I slept in. Firewatch beautifully portrays the isolation of the wild. Henry's only source of human connection is the voice of his supervisor, Delilah, over a walkie-talkie. Um, hello? Whoever this is? It's Henry, right? Yeah. I'm Delilah. As you progress through the story, strange things start to happen and a mystery unfolds. There's some guy out here giving me the creeps. The creeps? Wait, he's looking at you? Is he doing anything else? I... I don't think so. The inspiration for the game began with the story idea and some concept art. But even as Campo Santo started pre-production, the team didn't quite know what Firewatch was going to be. To be totally honest, when we started making the game, the game design was very up in the air. It was very open-ended at the time. But in a way, that was sort of what was appealing about it. Because I think there was an agreed-upon sense by all of us that we wanted this thing to be story-driven, but we didn't want it to just be a game in which you wander through a world and receive a story that has already happened, essentially. But I remember there being just this sense that we all thought we'd like to do something that is that is a bit more reactive and present tense in the sense that there's a, a story that, that you're inhabiting, not just a story that you're uncovering. There certainly was no grand plan. There was a collection of people that were close friends of ours or friends of friends who we thought were unbelievably talented and that we wanted to collaborate with. And we felt if we're put in a place together, and given some time to make a video game together would probably make something pretty good. And um, that was the product and business strategy we had going into making Firewatch, while also completely ready to walk away from a burning disaster if it didn't go the way we hoped. I'm James Parkinson from Lawson Media. This is Gameplay, stories about video games and the virtual worlds that power culture and community. Campo Santo was founded in 2013 by Jake Rodkin and Sean Vanneman. The pair had left Telltale Games, where they worked as writers on The Walking Dead. That was the game where he and I collaborated as creative leaders and um, really felt like we saw eye to eye on what a story-driven character-first video game could be. And having uh, made that game together, we started talking about what it would be like to try to do something on our own. This is Sean. What if we took a lot of the lessons we had learned making The Walking Dead and applied them to a first-person game where the tools of cinema and of exploration and storytelling, like a stricter formula, uh, were able to flourish? Sean and Jake were soon joined by the artist Ollie Moss, and the trio started to collaborate. We became friends with Ollie over the internet. Um, Jake had reached out to Ollie 
about this like a mutual adventure game fandom uh, at the time. And they were talking over instant message and Ollie had been at the time a sort of what I would call like internet prolific graphic designer and illustrator. I think it was maybe Jake saying, hey, have you ever thought about making games? And I think at that time, Ollie was in a spot where he really wanted to take a big leap from the work that he'd been doing. Ollie is a like just voracious video game digestor. <laughs> he plays just about everything. I think he always has. He is a like denizen of the internet and of culture. And he happened to like the games that Jake and I had worked on. We were obviously big fans of his. And then um, we met in person and there was a lot of kismet around the sort of the driving vision for Firewatch. The challenge of starting a studio from scratch is where do you find the funding? Fortunately, Campo Santo were able to strike a deal that came from an unlikely partnership, the software company Panic. Panic have since published Untitled Goose Game and launched the handheld system, the Playdate. But back in 2013, they'd never published a game before. They, uh, at the time, were making uh, Mac utility software at the highest level. Jake had been uh, friends with the founders of that company for a long, long time and had shared with them that we were starting this company and trying to figure out how we were going to pay for it. And they came to the table saying, hey, look, like we're not going to be able to to offer you what you know, like a major publisher could offer you in terms of capital, but we can offer you guys a fair deal and give you guys a whole bunch of freedom. You're probably not going to be able to get elsewhere. And along the way, we're going to like be able to understand what the game business is like. And um, maybe we should be the guys that go on this journey of making Firewatch with you. And it was 100% the right decision. So the thing they gave us was a bunch of trust to go make our game on their dime. So it ended up being a pretty wonderful relationship for us. A national forest perhaps isn't the most common setting for a game, but Sean was really drawn to the idea. So I grew up pretty close to where the game is like narratively set. So I've always been like drawn to the like wilderness of the American Rockies. Um, it's where I feel really comfortable. So it made perfect sense to me. Not just as like my heart desires to make a game and share this place with people, but it was like, I feel like I'm a subject matter expert on this one area. It's going to cut our research time down by a lot if I if we make a game set there because of my experiences. With Oli Moss on board and the backing of Panic, Sean and Jake were ready to begin recruiting other team members who could help build Firewatch. One of the first to join was their friend Chris Remo, a writer and composer who'd worked on games like The Cave and Gone Home. So I was at I was at Double Fine at the time, and Jake Rodkin and, and Sean Vanneman, who co-founded the studio, they had left their jobs at Telltale and started tossing around the idea for this for this game. I don't remember what show it was. It was at, we were at a concert together. We were at some show, and they showed me, or one of them showed me on their phone, the sort of incipient scraps of the idea that would be Firewatch. And it was sort of one sketch that Ollie Moss, concept artist and art director, had had done. It was very early, early, early materials. And I thought, oh, that looks that looks pretty interesting. Didn't know if it was going to come to anything. I don't know if anyone knew if it was going to come to anything. And at a certain point, it seemed like maybe this is going to be a real thing. And so I remember getting lunch at my lunch break from Double Fine, actually getting lunch with them one day. And they said, oh, I think this might actually be real. Would you have any interest in 
joining this thing. Chris was attracted to the idea of a game that would be narrative first, even though the story wasn't quite fleshed out yet. The premise came first. So the premise was, you play as this character who takes a seasonal job as a fire lookout and is posted in this tower in a national forest and something weird happens. And that's not really... Uh, uh, that's not really an exaggeration. It was essentially that something weird happens. And there were a bunch of different ideas about what the weird thing could be. And it would be, there would be some sort of mystery that you have to unpick and there would be, but, but the initial concept wasn't the full story as, as what ended up in the game. However, the team did take an important research trip to Yosemite National Park. And that was a different national park in a completely different state of, of the U.S., but I think it was incredibly valuable in terms of immersing us inside of an incredibly, almost impossibly grand and majestic and overwhelming piece of the natural world. I'm sure some of us had been to Yosemite before. I had not. I'd been to other national parks. I've certainly spent time in nature before, but Yosemite really is, it is, it is overwhelming and, and awe-inspiring in its scale. And I think that was incredibly helpful to communicate a sense of what we wanted this game to feel like. So much of the game design, and and speaking for myself, the music and the audio design as well, was really based around this idea of being in isolation in an environment that's so much bigger than you are, a place where you could disappear and, and, you know, you're essentially one grain of sand on on, on this infinite expanse that comprises this place. And... Uh, We wanted it simultaneously to feel like that, but also, from a design standpoint, like you can actually get to know it. You know, these two two things at the same time. You you can learn, it's it's this big contiguous landmass, it's in the game, I mean, you can you can explore it essentially at your at your will within within the bounds of of the objectives of the game, you can go where you want in this big interconnected world. So you can get to know it, you can, it, it sort of becomes your little patch of this park, but at the same time, you feel the grandeur of it and the majesty and the fact that beyond your little corner of it, there's something that stretches on. And going and spending time as a team together in Yosemite for several days, actually, it was better part of a week, I think, really helped us to internalize that sensation and put us all on the same page. It was a very uh, useful exercise. Um, it was the first time we kind of like put because we were we had folks who were living in london we had folks that were living in california we had a a developer who was living canada it was a way for us to all get together in a bunch of unstructured time and just go marinate in the sort of spaces that we were thinking about creating yosemite is very different from uh, where the game takes place uh, in northwestern wyoming but the scale of like the yosemite valley is like clearly like frittered throughout the game and is really like a useful simulacrum for what we were going for and a lot of that was taking folks who had never really been to the america like to the sierras or the rockies ollie specifically and being like that's how big it is um in a lot of ollie's early drawings i would always sort of be like the scale doesn't feel right things aren't big enough like things aren't the up and down isn't there 
that you get in the Sierras or the Rockies. And that was the, one of the biggest things, was just being there with this, like, with my friend and sharing that feeling of being like, let's go to this lookout tower. You're going to stand on the railing and just look. And it really changed the shape and feel of the, of the art that was getting made and would become the backbone of the game. Building a prototype is often one of the first steps in game development, and that was the case for Firewatch 2. The game is in first person, and how you interact with your surroundings became essential to how Firewatch felt to play. And we did a deep dive on just the radio mechanic. Hey, sorry, guess I slept in. You got a relaxing, what, 14 hours of sleep? Woo. Yeah, Jesus, I guess it's what, 6? 6.45. Whoops. And that unlocked the game. It unlocked like, oh, it's actually very satisfying to walk into an unknown space, look around with the camera, point at something, pull a trigger, and make a dialogue choice. Okay, that is an actual mechanic. Uh, I haven't played that. I haven't done that in another game before. This feels like this could be the game. Because up until that point, you know, and for a period of time afterwards, a lot of the game design was theoretical. It was like, oh, what if you have to do like compass navigation? What does traversal look like? What does climbing and using ropes maybe and uh, et cetera, et cetera? Like, is that stuff gameplay systems? Like, what does that stuff look like? But sure enough, like as happens with most games, the first thing we prototyped that we liked became the bedrock of the game. Uh, so we knew that that was going to be the way that you experienced, like, it was going to be the core way you interacted with the story. Twelve people made up the Campo Santo team on Firewatch, with some members coming in later in production. The group included 3D environment artist Jane Ng, who was tasked with bringing Ollie Moss's artistic vision into the game world, programmer Will Armstrong, animator James Benson, game designer Nels Anderson, and producer Gabe McGill. So once we actually all sat down in the studio and started working on this thing, we essentially started building the game almost on day one. I mean, really, it was a couple weeks into being in the office that we actually started making the game that was Firewatch. And that doesn't mean everything we were making ended up shipping in the game, but we didn't have a sequestered period of months upon months of pre-production where we hammered out what everything was going to be. And obviously, every game development changes over the course of development. That's absolutely true. But this one really did uh, hit the ground running. Firewatch is about a five to six hour game. Campo Santo began by focusing on the first 20 minutes, which would set up the story, the characters, and define the mechanics for the player. And Sean says this was a very time-consuming period. You know, you've designed the first 20 minutes, it ends up growing to 45 minutes, and then you've accidentally made an hour of the game when you meant to make 20. But it's really important that you, like, everything I've ever worked on, you spend an inordinate amount of your production on that first 20 to 60 minutes and so we spent basically a year on that a year plus on that of what was going to be that like the whole suite of the opening experience because that was going to like create the possibility space for what we felt like we could make um that was going to solve 95 percent of the design problems that were going to be present in the game so we uh, 
sat around and brainstormed what became lovingly known as Teen Loop, which was you're going to start in your tower, you're going to get to know Delilah, something is going to draw you out into the world. That ended up being the fireworks that were being set off in the middle of the woods by a pair of unruly teens. You were going to go confront the teens. That was going to be you talking to other characters in the world. And then you were going to have to navigate your way home. And we were going to then use that navigation home to change the tone of the story into like a more sinister take it have it take a couple like slightly more sinister turns to set the table for the rest of the game and we're like okay if we can build teen loop we can build firewatch and so we were like let's build teen loop teen loop took us more than a year to build and it took us 26 months to make firewatch it took us i don't know we were working on teen loop forever but it carved out all the sort of like prereqs for what we thought it took to make a video game that we were going to be happy with. Even with that first section of the game built, it wasn't all smooth sailing from there. Deciding how the story would progress and ultimately end would prove just as challenging. That's coming up after the break. One of the things I'm most proud of about gameplay is the wonderful community of listeners that's formed around the show. I love hearing directly from people like you on social media or email and reading all the great reviews on Apple Podcasts. But I also love hanging out and talking games on the Gameplay Discord. It's a friendly and welcoming space and it's open to everyone. So come and join us, head to gameplay.co and click on join our Discord. See you there. Firewatch tells the story of Henry, a man who takes a summer job as a fire lookout in the Wyoming wilderness to escape from something in his personal life. And as a narrative game, it takes a simplified approach to its mechanics. Your interactions with objects are limited, and the story progression is made through Henry's conversations with his supervisor Delilah over a walkie-talkie. Here's Chris Remo. There was a sense that we were setting out to make something that was a bit more player-driven than maybe the expectation for a non-combat-oriented narrative game. And that was really exciting to me. And I thought that there was room to do some interesting exploration in that vein. And also it being uh, set outdoors in essentially what is an, an open world, which you wouldn't call Firewatch an open world game, but it is it is strictly true that it does take place in one single contiguous environment. I mean, it does take place, mechanically speaking, in an open world. And that that does have meaning to the game experience, even if the overall narrative is essentially linear. So those things were largely constrained by practicality and a sense of determining what the game really needs. What did the game need to, in order to tell the story it was going to tell in a way that would still allow it to feel essentially player-focused? And using what the game needs as a benchmark or a litmus test probably sounds slightly glib to say that in the sense that that's really what every game does or, or should be doing. But I think we had to be a bit mercenary about it because we really were limited. I mean, we, we were always, I think, working basically at the, the edge of our capacity for a game of that scope, budget, and team size. We had a bunch of different ideas of really ambitious mechanics and ultimately as with any game project, we had to scope to what we had the ability to build in the time of, and budget available, but also 
what actually made sense to build given the game that we ultimately discovered we were making. Using the walkie-talkie to speak with Delilah allowed for character development and story progression in a way that felt engaging and fit within the constraints Campo Santo had to work with. Hey, I found a note to a guy named Ron from some guy Dave. That's probably Dave Gaskell. He's completely nuts. Is that right? So we never really considered at any point that we would have the budget and the resources more generally to put high fidelity NPCs up on screen, up close in front of you in a way that would be convincing and additive rather than detracting from the story. And so in a way, having the primary other character of the game exist only in audio was a budgetary decision. But it also tied deeply into the themes of the game, things like isolation and the dynamics of human conversation and the cause and effect of these things. There's something that's sort of unfiltered with just that that audio connection. And I think that really helped the relationship. Okay, uh, you've killed three husbands. You're a black widow and you're just out here until the heat dies down and then you'll kill again. Very good. Bravo, Henry. Okay, I sleep now. The challenge with character interaction in audio, though, is getting conversations to sound natural within the context of a dialogue system. Over the course of the game, there are quite a few choices you can make in conversation with Delilah, obviously. I mean, it's an interactive dialogue system, so very frequently you're choosing between choices, you know, A, B, and C. Often, often it's three choices. And I think most players would expect that those things lead to different responses from Delilah, and that's the case. It is a hell of a nice camping spot down here by the lake. I haven't been down there in years, but yeah, Jonesy Lake area is perfect. We don't have any repeated lines of dialogue in the whole game, which is actually quite unusual. And that was because we were really trying to model in some way how conversations work and by extension how life works. But in addition to the different choices you can make explicitly over the course of conversations, you're actually making choices constantly throughout the game that are essentially unconscious or sort of passive choices. They're things the game is observing you that you're doing, but not things that the game is presenting as choices. Early on in the game, we discussed the idea of having sort of full screen choice takeovers where the game would give you a choice between option A and option B. And we ultimately decided against that. And we thought, you know, if we have an idea for that kind of choice, why not just have the player do it through the game systems that we have? You know, object interaction, dialogue, um, locomotion, all these things that are already the game systems. Let's just use those to allow the player to make these various choices. And we don't even need to tell the player that those choices are happening. They're just things that the player can choose to do or not. But that's okay, because like I said, that's actually kind of how how it is to be a human in the world. You don't. It's sort of in a way impossible to know what's happening to you is down to random chance or some traceable series of decisions made by you or somebody else. I mean, it all just... It all just goes into one big thing, which is our reality. Well, they left their clothes out to dry. It looks like uh, two people. Well, what if they're naked? Won't that be exciting? Look, they're obviously still there, so tell them off and then head back. 
Great voice acting helps too, which is a real strength of Firewatch. Uh, there are uh, panties. There are what? I don't want to say that word again. Why? Because you're 12? The two actors playing Henry and Delilah, uh, Rich Summer and Sissy Jones, didn't meet in person until quite a ways in development. And that was intentional. They actually stayed. The voice recordings were all done simultaneously. They were all done recording them together. They didn't do them. They didn't do their parts individually, like some, which is how many games are recorded. So they were in real time, but remote. So they got that benefit of being having that remote audio-only relationship with each other just the way that the actual characters do fictionally in the game. And I think that I think that really paid off. And I think that really helped build that relationship between those characters in an incredibly convincing and lifelike way that as a player, you you really feel you feel that. I think you really feel that relationship. Okay, I think I am ready to tackle my long-term commitment of keeping this national forest safe from total destruction. I am glad to hear you've really thought this through. Of course. We've issued you a comfy chair to sit in and everything. You know, it's not really that comfy. It's wooden and there's no padding. I think I actually got a splinter in my thigh this morning. Aww. Well, regardless, take a seat. The forest depends on you. Firewatch was made in a way where every component was designed as it was being built. It meant that the mechanics, the audio, and the story were inherently linked. When we started actually building the game, we didn't have any kind of comprehensive game design. I mean, we really didn't. We started building the world and the environment and the, and started writing it and, and everything else just right at the beginning. And all of it came together as we created every other part. So, I mean, every bit that we were building was informing every other bit that we were building in real time. I mean, it's the, every game is iterative and every game changes over the course of development. But I, Firewatch is the experience I've had by far that was the most that way in the sense that we really were coming up with what the game needed to be as we were doing it, largely out of necessity. That was happening throughout all of development. We were making the game and iterating on it in real time as opposed to working to a, um, you know, a game design document. When it came to ending the story, though, Campo Santo had to backtrack. We rewrote the entire back third of the game. We had the entire game basically done, not not to a level of uh, shipping polish, but we had the we had the game done um, a few months before it was meant to release, and we all played it through. And our partners at Panic played through it, and we all sort of realized this is not this is not good enough. We actually finished the game in like an alpha state, and. Uh, quickly realized that uh, where we had taken a few left turns in the story, we should have taken right turns and threw a bunch of it out uh, towards the very end. This is Sean Vanneman again. We really kind of lost our way at one point. We had a version where the Delilah and the Henry relationship breaks down. We thought that was correct and we uh, built it and the game kind of ceased to have any life inside of it after that once their relationship completely eroded down to nothing and so we had to think about this corner we painted ourselves into with a truly cockamamie story 
and go, how are these two characters going to continue on this journey together? How are they going to actually continue on this journey together in any sort of way that feels plausible? That was a big roadblock, but we got there. We just started thinking our way through it emotionally and rationally and going, well, then this would happen. And then, well, this would happen. And then we would say, well, how is that actually going to happen? Which was to say, how are we going to build that? You're working at the product level of like, how is this story going to end in such a satisfying way? And then you go, okay, I'm looking at this story as outlined on the wall here in sticky notes. And I feel like we have something really special here now, or we have something that works. Now, can we actually render and make any of this? And you just start solving the problems and breaking it down into like bite-sized chunks. And, and then you just kind of keep going forward. So, you know, we delayed the game at that point, spent several more months completely rewriting and redesigning the ending and then, and then eventually shipped the game. But, but essentially that was happening throughout all of development. We were making the game and iterating on it. In, in real time, as opposed to working to a, um, you know, a game design document. Firewatch was eventually released in February of 2016 to mostly positive reviews. Campo Santo sold over 1 million copies in the first year and picked up multiple awards and nominations, including Best Indie Game at the Golden Joystick Awards. While the team put a lot of thought into rewriting the ending of the story, some players and reviewers were still critical of how Firewatch concluded, but it was still a huge achievement for a small team under tight constraints, and remains one of the standout narrative games. Firewatch is certainly the thing of which I'm most proud in my career, whose different parts all came together to largely communicate a very cohesive and coherent set of goals and, and themes and, and feelings. I don't for a second think we got everything right. I mean, I spend, uh, maybe less so now, but certainly for the years following the release, the first few years following the release of Firewatch, I spent so much time thinking about how many things we would do differently if we just get to make that game again. You know, if we could go back in time with all of the knowledge and experience we have now and make that exact same game again, you know, I've thought so often about how many things we would do differently and probably better. And that, and that can be frustrating at times. But ultimately, I do think we made something that lived up to our intentions. You know, it wasn't something that was perfect or that, that one couldn't find fault with, certainly not. But we set out to do something and to tell a certain kind of story that was an incredibly interesting and often challenging, but also very rewarding experience and I'm I'm very glad to have had it and I'm very happy to have to have been a part of it. Many thanks to Chris Remo and Sean Vanneman. In 2018, Campo Santo was acquired by Valve and the studio is currently working on their next title. Firewatch is available across all console platforms as well as PC, so if it's one you haven't played yet, I encourage you to check it out. Gameplay is a production of Lawson Media. This episode is written and produced by me, James Parkinson. The gameplay theme was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder, our artwork is by Keegan Sanford, and additional music in this episode from Blue Dot Sessions and Breakmaster Cylinder. 
You can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Gameplay Podcast. We also have a Discord community, so please come and join us. You'll find the relevant links, episode transcripts, and more on our website, gameplay.co. Thanks for listening.